filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster At last. Uh, I've come into some, some knowledge lately, um, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, um, but it is, it's definitely on brand um, for, for those of you that are concerned about my personal brand. I'm sure you are. Um, but I've come to realize that I do my very best work on Twitter, the, the tweets that I thought I personally go back to and, and, and find the funniest uh, when I'm navel gazing are always, they always come between like 1245 AM and 1 AM. That is a it's very a, small it's, window. It's a tiny window. Like it, I noticed this today, but if you look at for our listeners, if you, you know, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday. So if you look at my tweets from July 8th, through 10th you'll notice uh things that that i personally think are hilarious uh and they all come at the same time there's one about uh fc new york and their mitt romney labeled jerseys uh that they never got to actually wear before they then folded um which i think is hilarious um and a real that's a real life thing that's a that's those guys really had those shirts they just weren't allowed to wear them because fifa bans um political expressions like that as a sponsor. Um, and then the next night I was talking with some NWSL writers about um, the Amazon relocation uh, thing and, and some stuff in Chicago politics. And I was on my third glass of wine and I conflated uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk into one person that I've taken to referring to as a techno devil. Um, <laughs> and then uh also, they might. I might be saying that they are actually the same person. I might be sticking to that as well. Um, and then I, I had another tweet about uh, Pitbull um, and how the internet tried to screw him over by sending him to Alaska. Uh, and then he he just said Dale a bunch of times, and then did go to Alaska and had an awesome time for himself. Alaska is a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. Uh, right, um, and and you know, everyone to Alaska. Right, people thought they were pulling one over on a a, a famous uh, person who's maybe a little surface level. Uh, and yet, uh, I think Pitbull won a decisive victory by saying, like, I'm going to go have the same kind of fun that I always do as Pitbull. I'm just going to go do it in, in Kodiak, Alaska, uh, with like 100 people instead of a full arena. Um, and he did that. Uh, there's a whole video of him just having a grand old time with the people of Kodiak who are all happy that he's there. Um, and uh, I think there's something special in that. But yeah, I, I for whatever reason, uh, when like the clock strikes strikes like 1230. Uh, that's when I do, if I were a fan of myself and it's an open <laughs> question, um, I think that would be the time I would be like, he's going to say something awesome. Here it comes. Um, and I don't know why I do not know why it's that time of day uh, because it's not a good time. Uh, if you, if you're thinking that uh, you're going to make a um, successful career out of quips or um, any other written word, don't publish things uh, at 1245 to 1 a.m. East Coast time. It's a stupid time to put things out there in the world because no one's awake. Everyone went to sleep. I have three responses. Number one, 
learn Chinese, simultweet in Chinese. I would love to learn Chinese. Uh, Mandarin is going to be your friend if you want to keep tweeting at that time. Uh, two, you remember back in the late 90s and early aughts, there was a DAO of everything. There was a book. Yes. The DAO yes. of whatever you wanted. Um, I feel like if that genre were to make a comeback, the either the DAO of Dale or the, the DAO of Pitbull would do very well as part of that genre. Uh, and number three, seared into my memory, I think from before I really knew you, I think it was around the time Black and Red United started in 2010, or maybe when I came on board in 2011, uh, there you had a, a long string of tweets. They were not threaded. Threading was not a thing at the time. Um, but you live drunk tweeted cleaning your apartment. And it was some of the best Twitter I had and have ever seen. And I'm not going to go back and look it up, but if anyone wants to go back uh, seven, eight years in, in Jason's some of that, some of stream, might not be there. Um, I've slowly been like chipping away at the oldest tweets where it was clear that I didn't even understand what, what to do with Twitter. Um, well, because I in this case, get- you definitely understood what to do with it. It was, it was right. very good Twitter. Well, I think the key is to be selfish uh, and be concerned <laughs> solely with your own entertainment. And if you if you yourself are going to be entertained, that it might be entertaining to others. Um, um, but but, but don't yourself- exploit other people when you do that. Yes. Um, be clear y- yeah. Still be a good human being. Um, yeah. Don't don't uh, turn it into your application for uh, huge internet fame um, and just make it worse every single time you speak. Uh, whatever that lady's name is. Yeah, I'm not going to say her name. She's no. I've yeah, be be selfish but don't be thirsty. I think is is the lesson. Yeah. yeah, be be satisfied if if you're the thing that you said that you think is funny also got virtually no interaction. It's fine. You were amused. That's the whole point. That's Twitter in a nutshell. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Twitter ethics and DC United <laughs> Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley, is uh, on assignment this week trying to find a new scouting director because I struck out in my trip to Pensacola Beach. Uh, Not a lot of podcast scouting happening down there, unfortunately. So I'm not sure what beach Ben is on this week, but hopefully he will have better luck and we will have a GD scouting department. He did confirm uh, with photos that it is a beach. It's not... There's a very adorable picture of his kid on the beach. Right. Um, so so we know shared. he did go to a beach somewhere. Yes. Uh, but we don't actually know where. And uh, do not go on Twitter to try to f- figure this out. Leave the man alone. Let, let him on do assignment. scouting. Yes. <laughs> He's scouting for scouting. Okay. Let him scout for scout. Uh, this week we're talking about DC United's 2-2 two two draw with the LA Galaxy and breaking down... Uh, or previewing the upcoming game this weekend against the Vancouver Whitecaps, which is just a regular game, right, Jason? There's nothing special about it. Uh, I haven't heard anything special about it. Yeah, it's, there's nothing notable or or new or shiny or impossible about this game. Uh, it, it's not going to have um, heavy feels for, for many fans, good and bad, um, because of the situation we are in right now. Before we talk about anything, though, um, Jason, are you thirsty? What are you drinking? 
Uh, so it's okay to be thirsty in real life, just not internet thirsty. Physically thirsty. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, going back to the previous two nights, uh, my uh, allegedly good tweets were influenced heavily by cheap wine, uh, but that's gone. Uh, so I've moved on to, um, I decided to make myself, I haven't made one of these in forever, but I decided to make myself a Kentucky mule. Um, nice. so I got some Evan Williams, I got a lime and I got some ginger beer and I threw those in glass together with some ice. And, uh, it's, 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 it was the right move. I think I, at first it was like, what am I even doing? Like I need to make a drink. I don't know what I want. And then before I knew it, this was like halfway done because I live in a fugue state apparently. Um, <laughs> But uh, it, it turned out okay. It was it was the right choice in a fugue state. You know, fugue states don't always end well, but sometimes sometimes you get lucky. I'm drinking something that uh, it it's Devil's Backbone Pear Lager. It's a, okay. a lager made with pear. It's not a shandy. I made sure I read the label many <laughs> times to make sure this was not a blend yes. of lager and pear juice. Don't um, don't come on this show with a shandy. No, the thing I, is, we don't have to threaten our guests. It always goes bad for them. So it's yeah. more like for your own sake. Don't them come on and the show ben. with a shandy. <laughs> the only Ben's tried a couple of times and eventually learned. Uh, right. I had a bottle of rosé that that was open from from dinner. Uh, on standby in case this beer was too close to a shandy. It's not, it's fine. It's, it's a, it's very devil's backbone beer. Um, Mm -hmm. all their beers taste a little bit similar. It seems like, um, they're all good. They're all kind of better than average. They're like the foo fighters of beer. They're, they're good. They're reliable. They, you, you never have an objection to them, but they're not going to change the world in any real way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a fair analogy to either of them, but that's what I'm going with. Let's talk about soccer. Uh, DC United fought back from a two goal deficit last uh, Wednesday night. It was Wednesday, right? Uh, it was yes. forever ago. It was a million years ago. Dick's in Carson. Yes. This time, though, unlike recent weeks, they made it stick two to two. The final score against the Galaxy goals from Zoltan Stieber and Darren Maddox to cancel out LA's obliteration of one O'Neill Fisher by, uh, by Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You may have heard of him and Chris Pontius. You may have heard of him too, for a different reason. Uh, O'Neill Fisher did, did get worked on those goals, Jason, but it's probably unfair to blame him entirely because there were breakdowns elsewhere that created both of those. Yeah. I mean, the, the first goal, it, just rewatching it before we came on, I, I, went and watched it again. And I was just plunged straight back into the, like holding the bridge of your nose and squinting and looking pained expression. Um, the kind of mood that comes with that because Dave Romney is a defensive utility player. Um, he was mostly thought of as a center back. He's got about as many appearances at left back. He's never really been a wing back anywhere ever. Um, but if you give a professional player, uh, about 20 seconds to size up a cross to Zlatan, uh, you're probably going to concede a goal. And if you go back and look at the replay, the amount of space that United's... It's its not any one player, it's everybody on the right side of the field. Um, Zoltan Stieber's nowhere to be found. Jalen Robinson's yeah, a little too deep. Ian Harks doesn't come over to help out of right central midfield. There's just no one coming over to help or contest this cross at all. Well, and very early, even before the cross, even before the cross, I, I was 
really curious what Stieber was doing. He was allowing the pass to Romney and trying to block the pass into the interior, um, even pretty high up into LA's half. Let the pass go to 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 Romney, and then he he kind of tracked back to try to cut off Romney's angle into the inside, and then it passed back, and he let the pass go to Romney again. He was just so mm-hmm. concerned with the middle, and I don't know if that was right. something that the team had worked on, but it obviously didn't well, didn't play out well in this. If it, if it is something that they worked on, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't spend too much time because uh, because of LA's formation change. I don't think yeah. this was a situation that DC spent too much time expecting much because. This was LA's second game in a 3-5-2, and it wasn't their second in a row. Um, they played it against RSL. They beat them 4 nothing, and then they shifted back uh, for a game, and then they came back to it. So um, it's kind of a surprise. Um, and, it, you know, if you look at that play, it just looks like, you know, if anyone's going to come in for the most blame, I think it's got to be Stieber because – um, Ian Harks is in position to cut Ashley Cole's options off, um, as far as going up the middle. Um, so Cole's options, you know, if, if Stieber's in the right place to cut off that passing lane, Cole's probably just passing the ball across the middle towards, um, Perry kitchen or, you know, I Bradford Jamison is somewhere. He's not in the frame on the replay. Um, but he's somewhere out there, but it's, it's a lateral pass is the point. Mm. Um, and that's not so dangerous, uh, but because Stieber's a little too narrow and a little too deep, that passing angle to Romney is there where, where Cole doesn't have to serve him a ball that um, he's having to chase. It's um, it's kind of a slow possession, but Romney takes a touch. He looks up, and as soon as he's looking up, or even before he gets the ball, um, Zlatan is already beginning his run um, on, and, and getting grab. into his um, – grappling match with Fisher and you know it looks bad on Fisher's part but he's up against a guy that's much bigger much stronger much more experienced quite frankly at at getting away with the the little fouls that every forward gets into um if you see a goal like this you're probably seeing a forward commit something that would probably be a foul at midfield um and in this case Zlatan straight up has him by the wrist and tugs him um, so that He's when the so ball much arrives, so much stronger than Fisher that yeah. he just can move him with one hand. Uh, right. And it was clearly a foul, but it's a foul that often goes uncalled and one that Silvio Petrescu especially is never going to call on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, especially. So yeah, and, and, I, I can't even be mad at the ref about that. I know some people have pointed out that uh, Fisher shouldn't have been marking Zlatan. Zlatan peeled out way wide to the right. Such yeah. that um, if Burnbaum or Briant had followed him, it would have opened up an insane channel for runners in the exactly. inside and and um, shifted O'Neill Fisher into the middle, which is not where you want him. Right. So, so, I, so I, it's the, a smart play by Zlatan. Right. Yeah. The, this is a smart idea from LA to say, um, look, if we can get them uh, off balance where we've got the ball out on the left um, and have time to put it across, Zlatan, this is what we want you to do. And, you know, maybe it could even be because I've heard the rumors that Zlatan basically tells the galaxy what to do rather than them telling him what to do. Um, Maybe he, I mean, maybe on the, you know, the thing is with, with a lot of these um, guys that come from the premier league, they're used to this obsessive level of preparation and detail that MLS teams just don't, they don't quite get up to that level. Um, It's one of the many things that are different between this league and that league. Um, 
this could be something that that he noticed on his own um, that he had a mismatch that um, on back post crosses that would be the person that would be he would be up against and if um, Romain Alessandrini could occupy the center backs just by being around which is exactly what he did on this play because he's at the near post Briant has to honor that by staying near him which means that Burnbaum has to stay connected to Briant um, and so you end up with Fisher against uh, Zlatan. And, and look, it's a great goal. I mean, the, the volley itself is a uh, most MLS forwards aren't putting that away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, if we look at this week, uh, I'm not sure Kai Kamara is putting that away. I think he's putting it into the stands. Um, but you still open up yourself to the chance that it might get put away. Um, and it all, but it all starts with something so simple as. LA's slowly in possession and they end up with Dave Romney having about six weeks to size up where he's going to hit his cross. Um, and it can't happen. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it's plain old lackadaisical play in a team shape from multiple players. And you, you know, DC suffered the consequences for it. There are other games where that doesn't go in and you're still zero zero and you say, okay, we dodged a bullet there. Now we can, um, try and get it together. But in this game, they did not get it together straight away. This wasn't a slap in the face goal. Uh, the second goal for LA came through Chris Pontius again, ball left to right. He uh, wasn't in a p- position to, to volley at home. He, he brings it down with his right foot, puts it across to his left and hits a fantastic shot past David Osted. Um, not a, a lot to say other than Fisher kind of overplayed and, and, helped Pontius get a little bit open on that one. Uh, good fight back from DC United after that, though. Quick response. Uh, Luciano Costa setting up Zoltan Stieber f- to to pull one back before halftime. Um, I think that goal kind of shows the connection that Acosta and Stieber have, as well as the good that can come from Acosta taking on two or three guys at once. Uh, because he's not trying to go through them. He's trying to draw them to him and right. then create that little tiny bit of space for him to to lay the ball off to somebody else. And Stevie knew exactly what he was doing, held his run until the last possible moment, and then um, stayed on side and got in behind. Really, really good finish uh, going to the far post uh, with his favored left foot. Um, I don't know what else to say about that one. That was a, it was, it was a good clever. goal. It was a yeah. clever finish. Um, and... Also, I think unnecessary goal because I think up until that moment in the game, Stieber was the worst player on the field for either team. Um, he was not. I mean, Romney not only had the cross on the the um, the first goal, um, but he had two more crosses before, after that that had turned in, into danger. The ball across to Pontius uh, had come from the left again. Um, Stieber was just not having any impact on the game whatsoever in any direction. Um uh, but he's shown this knack for even when the game isn't going that well, he's got this this knack for popping up with a goal or an assist. If you remember the game uh, at Philadelphia where DC was terrible, um, they still only lost that game three two, and it was because mostly because Steber came up with two very big plays that were kind of you know they were isolated. But you you can get results in MLS with an isolated big play here and there. It's not the way to do it. But you can get by, you know, here and there from time to time. And most teams in the league that make playoffs have a few of those games where they're like, yeah, we kind of sucked that night. But um, such and such came up with the uh, the great pass and we managed to finish off and get a 1-1. Um, and this was, I think, 
it was a big goal for for um, Stieber as, as far as getting himself back involved in the game, but it was also, um, I think, kind of an emotional, not a huge emotional turning point for both teams, but it prevented this game from becoming a route because up until the goal, DC was pretty terrible. Um, yeah. LA was owning this game up and down, like in, in all all uh, spheres of the game, they had total control. Um, this was looking like it was going to go and become a route. Um, and for DC to respond in what, I mean, not 60 seconds, but not even, um, or maybe a full 60 seconds from the Pontius goal. Um, to, for them to respond that quickly um, against a team that you know has been kind of up and down, I think it was a um, a big moment mentally from this team to, to show that they do have the ability to show some some guts in those kind of moments. Um, and it's you know I I do like the finish because normally you don't see it's he kind of like jumps himself into the ball, um, and that's kind of why David Bingham seems unsure as to what's about to happen until the ball's past him. Um, it's, it's really clever to, to shoot in a sort of unorthodox manner rather than try and curl it. He just sort of pokes it past him before he Bingham's ready to go. Um, we do get the assist, uh, from, uh, Hilliard Arce keeping Stieber on side at the back post, uh, marking nobody, but sometimes you need a little bit of a lucky break as well right. as Stieber saw that too. Like yeah, Stieber right. was running from the, the right side and could see straight across. He knew exactly where every player on the line was. I think that that's less a lucky break and a more a good mm. run from Steeper um, that, that he deserves some praise for uh, DC United had to keep fighting through the, the second half. They bossed possession in this game, which is weird to say for, for DC United. Maybe we'll see more of that going forward. Yeah. Um, Can I bring up a little something with that? Yeah. Um, I think LA wanted that to be the case. Um, I think that was an absolutely intentional um tactical idea i probably should because have mentioned DC united hasn't been able to score in those situations yeah and i probably should have mentioned this when you asked me about things to talk about before the show <laughs> um but I, it had slipped my mind because the game was six days ago um but yeah uh la came out with a high line but they weren't pressing the ball they just they pushed their defensive shape up high up high up the field and said you're gonna have to break our block down here um in this region of the field, we're not going to sit and defend at the top of our box. We're going to push up high, but we're not going to chase you. Um, and United really struck at, at first, especially they had no idea what to do with that um, because this team isn't really designed to play possession soccer. Um, ben Olsen has been emphatic. And I think the, the games have borne out that he is trying to play a more attractive brand of soccer, but it's not to say possession soccer. He wants his team to be on the run. He wants to play high tempo games. Um, and LA wouldn't let that happen. And so DC was presented with a different challenge from what they want. And the challenge was break down an organized block uh, of defensive players in a crowded midfield. You're going to have to figure your way through it because they're not going to get into the track meet where the spaces open up that way. Um, you're going to have to pry them open. And for a while, uh, it looked like they weren't going to be able to pry them open. They got the one goal, but it still looked like they were going to pile up possession. And, you know, D Darren Maddox was working extremely hard. Um, I thought he had a very good game, uh, even though the up until the up until he did get a goal, um, the finishing wasn't quite there for him. But he was plugging away. He was really um, kind of leading by example. Um, 
up front. But um, yeah, it, it was an interesting tactical idea from from LA to present DC with this. Um, it's the kind of thing that normally you don't see when you go on the road. Um, you don't see a team willing to be like, well, fine, we don't care if we have the ball. But the Galaxy really did not care if they had the ball. Um, they were not that interested in having – if they did have the ball, it was just we're going to keep this and not do anything with it as long as possible to slow this game down because we know mm-hmm. you want to run and we don't want to run. And um, I, I think it's a big positive for DC to see themselves – to see that they can actually solve that and get a result um, on the road is a positive step. I will say that this is the Galaxy. They're not very good. Um, if a better team threw this same uh, wrench at DC, I don't think we're talking about a result at this stage. Um, but, you know, you don't solve the hardest problem in the world first. You have to build up to it. And I think this was a, a small build up towards that where um, hopefully down the road, if they encounter some other team that wants to come in and just, you know, especially now that they're going to have all these home games, they're going to see some teams that don't want to chase, that just want to sit deep and force DC to break them down. And now they can call back on a game where, like, we did open up L.A., so we, we did figure it out once. So um, maybe we, we don't have to be so nervous about this, because in the past it seemed like if DC has to break down an organized defense, they're pretty much lost. Um, so progress in the right direction. Not great progress, but some progress. Right. And so one one thing I've been meaning to harp on uh, over the last few weeks is that progress is very rarely linear. It, it fits and starts, it goes forward, it goes back. Uh, and, and this game, I think, showed some little bit of, of forward progress, especially after uh, United decided to start playing. And then mm-hmm. um, one thing I think it's worth noticing is that, that Lucho Acosta... Uh, stayed involved in this game even when Petrescu was doing absolutely nothing to <laughs> protect him. From the very first minute, Perry Kitchen was targeting Lucho and just kicking the crap out of him. Oh, and trying to goad him too. Yeah, um, it was obvious. Like that was part of it. They knew that Lucho was a hothead yes. and they could bait him, and he didn't take the bait. No, he, was- they they jawed back and forth a little bit, but we never saw the thing where Lucho is clearly got the red mist and he's just decided he is going to retaliate um, because yeah, you can never had fire him. coming out of his ears. You, you can see it when Lucho's had enough and he's not going to hear anyone's words to him about how he needs to calm down. Uh, you can see it in his body language or how he'll chase somebody down. You know, he feels he's been fouled and he doesn't get the call. He pops up looking not to win the ball back, but to commit a foul. Um, mm-hmm. That's when he's gotten himself in disciplinary trouble. It's always with that. It always follows that visible shift in I mean, I mean i hate to do the body language thing because i've criticized it so much in the world cup um when it that's been used as a substitute for analysis but um i feel like it's a visual a visible thing where you can tell that lucho has lost his head a little bit and you're about to see possibly yellow or red mm-hmm. um and in this game la was like yes we want him furious we want him chasing perry kitchen and kicking him because he'll get himself sent off and it never came uh yep. He was upset, but in fact, of those of those two players, Perry Kitchen is the one that got the yellow. Uh, Lucho did not, even though I, they've got him rung up for four fouls suffered, and Yamil Assad suffered five fouls. So um, you can see that there was a lot of L.A. just being willing to get extremely physical and not necessarily 
do much else. Um, yeah, not in a fair but physical. I mean, Kitchen was kicking him off the ball, and that that brings yeah. me to a question: w- Was Perry Kitchen that much of a heel when he played for DC United? And I was just blind to it because he was he was jawing. He looked like a, a villain more than he used to. Maybe it's the the blonde facial hair that makes him look like that. I don't know, but it's, he it's that he Cobra came very unlikable can. in this. Um, yeah. you get out in LA, you get a little bit of that, um, eighties movie villain. Uh, yeah, he was very Cobra Kai. Yeah. Was Perry um, Kitchen. Yeah. I, I think this was always there a little bit. I mean, it's not like in DC's best years with kitchen, it's not like they were pleasant to play against. They were uh, yeah. a meat grinder of a team that you really hated being on the field against because there were a bunch of guys that, uh, came on the field and brought, um, physical play and really towed the line of, um, trying to get, make you upset and take you off your game. Um, I don't know that it was ever to this extent, but also, you know, we're DC United fans. So when he was here, we tend to think the best of him. And now that he's with the stupid galaxy, we tend to think the worst of people with the galaxy. So um, maybe it is a little more, maybe he went to Europe and uh, learned uh, some, some lessons from the dark side. Um, I don't know, but uh, it did definitely look like an, a fully intentional attempt to get, um, Acosta either sent off or just you know Take irritated off that he was just not focused and thankfully for United Lucho stayed on his game the, the full 90 minutes he didn't let this shake him up at all yeah I, I will say that the Kitchen's heel turn in this game made Darren Maddox's goal where he he skinned him he skinned Perry Kitchen yeah. on that goal uh, it, it made it a little more satisfying, which is something I was not expecting to to say about Perry Kitchen, who's an incredibly nice human being. Every time I've interacted with him, he's an Indiana boy, just like me. Um, he married a Boilermaker, so which is where I went to school. So you know, he's got good good off field taste. It's just on the field, he was playing like a son of a bitch in this. <laughs> one. Um, yeah, he, he was. There was no no prisoners uh, taken with 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 Kitchen in this game, but. Uh... Yeah, I don't know if maybe maybe it was just he was our son of a bitch before, but he I I, I feel like he took it to another level uh, in in his time since he's left United. A uh, couple more things to hit on quickly uh, before we we change gears because we are running long. Imagine that, Jason, you and I no, running long, never on this show of all places, <laughs> of all the gin joints in all the world. Uh, Paul Ariola came on as a sub in this game. It, it's great to see him back on the field, not just because uh, he he's a product of the LA Galaxy Academy and it's fun to shove him in their face, uh, but, but also because he very well could be the most important player on DC United's roster. Central midfielder Paul Areola specifically um, could be DC United's most important piece and also something I wasn't expecting to say at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he changes the game every single time. Um, when, when he's when he's had to come in as a sub, um, like in this game, it's not so much that Ian Harks was having a bad game. It's just that no one else on the team can replicate Ariola's energy and speed in that position. And we don't tend to think of central midfield as needing speedsters, but as someone who was a slow central midfield for my entire life, I can tell you that if I had been faster, it would have been a lot easier to do all the stuff I was trying to do. Um, he just, he gets there first so, so often. And so he's got more time to hit passes. He's, he's an option earlier for his teammates. Um, he's he helps the, the press so balls. much. Yeah. Um, which is not just, I mean, that's not just speed. That's also intelligence. Um, yeah. 
and and you know it's really um it's it's kind of the biggest uh tactical move the team has made all season is bringing him inside um which has a allowed them to get all of their best attacking players on the field at the same time but mo- i think more importantly b has added something in central midfield that just wasn't there when it was Segura, um, who, like Harks, I think Segura's had a rough uh, start to his season, but I think a lot of, there's a lot of respectable qualities with, with Segura, um, especially when he's not, if he cuts the mistakes out, I think he'll be a very useful MLS player, but there's a difference between a guy who's fine and a guy who is legitimately changing games from central midfield mm-hmm. and Ariola's in the latter category. Um, yeah, one thing that doesn't Ariola- they just don't have a replacement. They don't have anyone that can replicate his game. Um, and thus he is kind of irreplaceable. Yeah. One thing he does when United's in possession that I think is really interesting and different from a number eight is especially on the right side, he will go out and overlap on the yeah. right to create an overload out there. And if you've read any tactical analysis about the world cup, uh, overloading one side is, what everyone is talking about. And Paul Areola really, really helps DC United overload, especially the right side uh, of the attack, which creates a numbers up situation. You reverse it to the weak side or you, you find an entry pass um, from that side. And it, it puts United in a good position, whether they're on the break and he's flaring out like that, which you see strikers do, but not usually, two-way right. central midfielders. They're usually locked into that center zone. But Some he flares out think, and sends... Go ahead. Uh, I, just, I was going to bring up two other players who've had success in MLS doing that exact same thing. Tyler Adams and Dex yeah. McCarty. Um, and those guys have been on teams that were really successful. And, and that has been a big part of it is um, having someone come from a position that you don't expect to create that overload uh, it really throws defenses off, and it's it's you know nothing more complicated than make giving them a decision that's just too hard to make in that amount of time, and all of a sudden you've got someone scrambling the position or the defensive shape breaks down on the other side, and and you can create chances from there. Yeah, you see Paul Ariola on the end line at the edge of the box, and nobody's really on him. It's because the fullback's like, oh, he's a central midfielder. I got to cover the swinger or the fullback, and the central midfielders aren't where central midfielders are supposed to be. It makes a a really tough thought process and decision-making process for defenders. And that's, that's good. You want them having to think you don't want them just being able to react and play. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I I know Jason, you wanted to talk about Chris Durkin in this as well. Uh, Do we have time? Uh, Go very quickly. Um, I was a little surprised that we didn't see the rotation uh, of him and Joseph Moreno. Um, I think the game is still, especially when DC goes on the road, the game can still happen a little quickly for Durkin at times. He's very good when DC has the ball, but when he's got to do the defending, it's still um, his decision-making process is still just a little slow. And I think teams are starting to figure that out, um, which is a little worrying, uh, worrying, but at the same time, he's not going to get quicker unless he's on the field. So, um, you know, after the open cup game uh, against Orlando, Olsen noted that that's part of the knocks of playing a young player. And so he's going to keep, it looks like for all the world that he's going to keep putting him out there. Um, We'll see now that Russell Canales is starting to make the bench and has had 10 more days to build his fitness level. We'll see if that carries on. Um, 
because if Durkin is starting when Canales and Moreno are both healthy, then Durkin is locked in as the starting central midfield at that point, yeah. um, which would be pretty remarkable. But it also means that United probably has to do something uh, about having too many players in that position, um, which might be uh, one of the ways they find new talent because they definitely need to make some moves. And trade is definitely one of Dave Casper's first thoughts when it's time to make moves. So we'll see. It's it's an interesting it's going to be an interesting few weeks to see where they go at that position. Last thing on this game, uh, uh, Mora had a, a, a pretty good game. United had a lot of the ball. He's another player, I think, like Chris Durkin, who's better when United have more of the ball. And that might be true of a lot of players on this team, actually. Um, they're better when United defends on the front foot, higher up the field, uh, and they're better when United has more of the ball. Um, or at least isn't defending uh, as much. And, you know, maybe that that means DC United will play more like that or try to in the future. That would be nice. Well, that, you know, I, I think they want to. I think it's a matter of making it happen on a consistent basis. Um, but, you know, when Mora came into this game um, as DC's second sub, it was like, well, I, I mean, I kind of understood because they were already needing that extra width they needed um a little more from both sides rather than with with fisher and robinson out there you're not getting too much because fisher's not left-footed robinson's not really a fullback you're not getting anything attack wise from those positions um so getting more out there meant getting a right-footed right back who actually does tend to attack a little more and also added a left-footed left back and and um, I was a little worried that it was just going to be get forward and hit crosses. Um, but to Mora's credit and to Olsen's credit, the directive looked to be get forward and then see what's available. Um, mm-hmm. Don't just whip a cross in. Um, and United in the end of this game, despite being behind from the fifth minute and being down to nothing uh, at one point, they hit only as many crosses as LA as both teams hit 16 crosses, which is a, a sign that DC didn't get desperate and just start lumping the ball into the box. Um, Steve Birnbaum never played forward in this game. That's a good right. sign. <laughs> um, and, and so Mora was effective. I think um, just getting around his man, getting around the wing back. Um, uh, forget, or he's getting around Pontius, um, you know, punishing basically punishing LA for not playing a wing back who is not a wing back. Um, but getting around him and then making, you know, drawing Hilliard Arce out from the center back uh, group, um, getting into the box, not just um, getting around and passing, but actually going and driving at the box and being almost an auxiliary winger rather than a fullback. Um, and so he made it, he made a big difference. And, you know, with all these home games coming up, um, I'm hopeful that, if Mora's starting and for the time being, that's probably going to be the case. Cause I, I don't know that Nick DeLeon is uh, about to come back. He could, it's possible. I just don't know that that's the case. Um, but if Mora's starting, um, this is the guy we need to see more of. Um, we need to see someone who's getting around his man and not just blindly hitting crosses. Um, because if that's going on, then we're also probably going to build his confidence up a little bit. And we're no longer worried about, what's going to happen when he has to defend because that's often been a worry when he's had to defend. Um, so hopefully this is um, for him as an individual. Hopefully this is something he can build on because I, I like what I saw and I'm kind of surprised I was, I'm saying it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he had a good start to his tenure with DC United. The first couple of weeks, he made some great tackles and looked good on the ball. And then we started seeing him play more defense defense in the system and it, it wasn't good. So hopefully he can get back to his form in the, the first couple of weeks when he first joined DC United. That's it for this segment. We'll be right back to talk about Buzzard Point, Audi Field. It's happening this Saturday. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. the black and red united podcast it's finally here i can't believe i'm saying these words after years of false starts and do-overs hearings debates uh construction delays dc united will at last open a soccer stadium in the district of columbia this weekend festivities begin well festivities are going on all week i guess they began on monday um but Saturday, they they begin at 4 o'clock at the so new, it's not even finished yet, Fan Plaza on Potomac Avenue Southwest. Kickoff inside Audi Field is at 8 o'clock. Emily Olsen covers DC United for Pro Soccer USA, but you've probably seen her byline in lots of other places. And she's here to help us talk about the stadium. Emily, welcome to Filibuster. Thank you for having me. Um, that was a very good summary of, of kind of what's happening over there at Audi Field. Uh, we have a tradition here. We have to ask you, what are you drinking tonight? So I wish I could say something super fun and exciting and exotic, but right now it is currently a calming tea with an inspirational message. Yeah, Can you share that inspirational message with us? It says, smile and share smiles. It's not the deepest of messages, <laughs> but it's simple enough. Earlier in the show, we talked about the Tao of Pitbull and Dale, and I feel like that fits in really well with it. See, it's it's meant to be. It, it, clearly. Um, I, I, I know you're working hard, wearing a lot of hats, uh, and and the, the people probably getting less sleep than any of us right now. <laughs> are the the workers at Audi Field. The stadium is not done. You were at the ribbon cutting on Monday night. Um, 
what was the what was your impression of of the work that's left to 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 be done well um it definitely i think that's a a fair nod to give those people that are definitely working around the clock trying to get this thing ready uh it's very exciting it's definitely to a point where they can let people in that's for sure um personally i have myself and other media have only been able to see a portion of it um but what i can see when you first initially walk up from someone who's been in this area for a while first of all seeing it i i really had to go up and like touch it because at first <laughs> i was like it has to be a hologram like this can't be real that's going to um, be me but it is real <laughs> it definitely is real um the the outside is done and it it looks pretty close to the renderings at least the the later ones um but you know you walk up and you do pass by i believe it's the team store or the the opening reception area of sorts and there there are still signs up that say you know under construction um construction workers only and some empty rooms so so i wouldn't say you know ready to go 100% um but structurally it is it is a stadium i can confirm <laughs> it is there <laughs> they did get the certificate of occupancy for the field and the the seating bowl recently i think um the washington business journal reported that so that means we can go to our seats uh those yes. of us with tickets um presumably that also includes the the press box and whatever overflow area they're going to stick us internet people in uh for that what were your you you got to see some of the inside of the stadium not all of it obviously um what were your impressions of of the building i've heard that that verticality is the the first thing you notice yeah that that is exactly where i was going with that it's one of those things that you I mean I've I've looked at I've followed the construction from day one kind of checking in with that live stream every once in a while checking in on the the picture update and it looks steep from the pictures but once you're there and the part that I was able to see you walk in and you turn to the to the left of from where I was positioned and right underneath the video board is a tall wall of seats and it's very close to a wall is is almost you know it feels very straight up and down definitely packed a lot of seats and people and it it's tall for sure um emily i meant to join you guys all at the um the ribbon coat uh, ribbon cutting ceremony a ribbon coating ceremony i'm not familiar with what goes on at that um but uh I guess what I really kind of missed out on, um, I feel like, is uh, what was the vibe among the fans that were there and the media that were there? Um, what's the stuff that we get beyond what came uh, from the microphone with all of the uh, honored guests and all that? What about the regular folks? What, what was the vibe in that group? There's, As far as fans, it's a lot of familiar faces, very excited um, for this stadium. Um, you know, when Wayne Rooney's sitting on a stage in front of a brand new stadium, you can't deny that there's excitement. Um, it, there's, I think there's a little bit of frustration, to be honest. Um, I heard and talked to a few people as far as 
the amount you could see at this opening event, but it's still excited. I mean, it's it's hard not to be excited for a brand new stadium um, that's been a long time coming for sure. Um, I, I mentioned familiar faces among the fans that I saw out there because those are honestly some of the few people I recognize um, as far as the media side. There are a lot of new faces that have appeared in the last week or so um, that I personally, you know, have gotten to to meet and introduce myself to because there has been a lot of attention. And I think that's part of the excitement, um, being able to see a lot of familiar fans and then see a whole platform full of cameras that are, are filming the mayor and the commissioner and um, Wayne Rooney in front of the stadium. So it's an interesting contrast between what I think will be a, a lot of new eyes among those people who have really been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, jump yeah. in. Okay. I'm, I'm going to jump in. One one question. Do you think DC United can can bring back the World Cup of Soccer like com- <laughs> council member Jack Evans says that, that they're going to do? Is that in the that cards? One of the one of my first personal in person interactions with him, um, with the council member. And first of all, he started his speech by bringing in George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and trying to make a very. It was such a dad joke. I think it counts as a grand dad joke um, <laughs> that he was bringing in, um, talking about wanting to create this stadium with George Washington and and talking and trying to say how long he's been involved in the project. And then, of course, from there, a couple blunders along the way from the World Soccer Cup to, you know, I, I don't know if you knew this, but DC United still is uh, is in some world beating uh, everyone else in the number of championships, which... Yeah, I don't recognize the Galaxy's <laughs> fifth MLS Cup. I, I don't know about you. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. Apparently, the council member is one of the the um, people that don't believe that that last Galaxy Cup happened. Hashtag Galaxy Truther, Jack Evans. <laughs> uh, I, I will say Councilmember Evans is a big part of why this stadium exists. He's he's a, a sports stadium booster. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, that's who he is. And, and he's a, a big part of why the, the push for this stadium uh sustained on the council. He was a big ally for the team. I know. Oh, absolutely. He has been a huge ally. He makes the joke about, you know, George Washington, but he really has been along through several different um, administrations going through and helping with this. It was just, it it was a very fun, lighthearted addition to the whole ceremony. Uh. Emily, it's just occurring to me that you know, with with there's an uh, event, uh, a media thing Thursday, and then there's the game itself. Um, I realize I haven't actually approached the stadium since the groundbreaking. Um, so something that's on my mind, and I think for a lot of um, fans coming from outside the city, and even from those having to just hop on metro and come in, uh, how is the walk uh, up to the stadium? How is that looking these days? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of construction. Um, that part of D.C., Navy Yard, Southeast, parts of Southwest. Are, I, I grew up here, and it com- look, looks completely different to anything I've ever seen. 
Um, and there's definitely currently still a lot of construction. So it was an easy walk. Um, I timed it. I went the wrong way at first um, and had to take a bathroom break, but I paused the timer. Um, <laughs> took about 15 minutes uh, to get there from the Navy Yard Metro. Uh, it was pretty hot, and I was wearing long pants, so that wasn't enjoyable. But it's honestly not a difficult walk um, during the day. And, yeah, 10, 15 minutes, I think, is what you can account for. But there is a lot of construction from the metro station to the stadium that you're kind of, that's going to accompany you along the way. Does it feel like when you're you're coming from the metro, does it feel like you're walking towards the stadium? Or is it just like, I need to follow these three streets to get to the stadium. Is there anything sort of leading you towards the stadium? Or is it just like I'm making my way through this neighborhood and then all of a sudden I'm there? Well, my favorite thing when I got off the Metro, I don't, I have to be honest with you, I haven't taken the Metro to Nats Park or the Nats, the Navy Yard area in a while. Um, I should start saying the Audi Field area in a while. <laughs> um, but when you do get off the Metro, there is, it does say uh, baseball park and soccer stadium. So right, off, it shows you which exit to take by labeling it soccer stadium. Uh, other than that, though, I didn't see much signage as far as, you know, I did see all-star signage, obviously, with that coming up for baseball. But I didn't see big arrows or, or much in the way of Audi Field stuff. You kind of have to know where you're going when you when you get off the Metro. Uh I guess I, I can shift gears now because we're also talking about, you know, we've only been a few, it's only a few days since the Wayne Rooney uh, press conference at the museum. Um, mm-hmm. Did you get the feeling that at the stadium event um, that I guess, I, I guess what I'm looking for is what is the team's perspective here? Is um, the stadium as big or bigger than Rooney or, or are they still kind of going heavy on the Rooney stuff and not so much on the stadium stuff. From uh, organization standpoint, or player standpoint, from from whose standpoint? Uh, the, the organization itself. So, um, especially at the ribbon cutting event, it's definitely it was very Audi Field centric. Um, it was here's our new home, here's our cathedral for soccer. I think uh, Jason Lavina has used many times very focused. Actually, I was surprised at how, you know, there was a couple of references here and there. We've brought world-class talent. Um, Rooney also spoke, um, but I, I was, I was surprised at how short it was. And, and um, I was actually more impressed by defender Steve Birnbaum's speech than Rooney's, to be honest. But I think that the heat had a little bit of effect on Rooney there. Um, but the one place that you already, definitely... <laughs> oh, it's not a good sign. Up. I was a little concerned for a second that someone needed to get that man some water, but, um, it, I, I have to say that I was affected by the heat that day. So I, I wouldn't say any too much concern just mm. yet, but the, the one thing that was a draw and you could tell where the fans were focused is, um, after they got let into the stadium and you could only see so much of the field they brought Rooney back out for autographs and that line lasted for hours and it was long and there's still a lot of excitement and draw towards Rooney. I just 
think that during the ribbon cutting event itself, the team was definitely trying to introduce this stadium as like, this is going to last longer than Rooney. This is, you know, this is your home. This is what we're focusing on. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rooney's done. I, I never really followed him off the field when he was in England. Um, obviously I would see his highlight reel exploits on the field, but I I've seen a lot more of him, uh, in, in various interviews, press conferences since he's mm-hmm. come stateside, uh, MLS soccer.com just had an interview with him with Kalen Carr that I think came out today. Um, and it, it was interesting watching it, uh, because Rooney, what he says is both very cliche and very on point. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's so plain spoken that it, it sounds like he's not saying anything. But if you think about what he says, it's like, okay, that's correct. Um, I, I'm not sure what he said at, at the stadium opening, but if it's anything like his response to how do you measure success in your time with DC United? And his answer was, well, with trophies. That's the only measure that matters. It's like that's cliche, but it's also right. Um, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm. It, it's almost refreshing in a way to me. Um, certainly more so than than the corporate speak that I know some of the other speakers gave at the the stadium opening. Yeah, I have been. Um, I've been able to talk to Rooney now a couple of times since he's been here, and. As someone who's followed him both on and off the field, it it has been surreal, but he definitely has a brand and that brand's hardworking and, and straightforward and very he does have a British dry sense of humor, but you're exactly right when you say you feel like he's giving you a cliche, but he's actually just giving you the truth. I mean, he wants to win. Um you know, he yeah, so, so he's, he says, you, you know, you measure success by trophies. He's very straightforward in what he wants um, and how he's going to attain that. Um, but there's, a, there's a little less personality than I expected, um, especially him following so close after someone like Zlatan. But, um, you know, to, I actually spoke with him today, and the first time that I got any more energy out of him was asking if he had spoken to any of the previous designated players that have made a similar journey, whether it's um, from Manchester United or um, somewhere else in the Premier League to MLS. And I asked, you know, did you talk to them? What what were those, conver- what were those conversations? He said, obviously, I talked to Gerard. We're very close. But I tried not to talk to them too much because I want to get to know this league firsthand. I could hear a different story from a different designated player on any given day. I want to get out there and I want to feel for myself. And I believe that's kind of who he is. You know, he, he doesn't listen. He listens, but he wants to experience it for himself. And he's very straightforward and trophies are what make wins. And, you know, the MLS is what, or MLS is what is going to, is going to be defined by his personal experience and, and not the media's or any other player that has come before him. Did, Emily, do you get the sense that, um, you know, he, he made a, a, I think an intentional choice right away at the, um, the press conference for him 
to bring up the fact that DC was struggling and they had to start winning games. Uh, he sounded like someone who'd been here through the whole season. Um, do you get the sense that he um, has a, a grip on how important he is as far as turning this whole, you know, moving to the new stadium, having the new training ground, sort of, it's almost the reset button for the entire team. And it's all kind of hitched to his wagon. Um, do you get the sense that he um, embraces that? Or is he someone that's more like, I'm just going to get down and do the work. And then um, that's that's enough. Or is he going to be more of the um, the face of the franchise, not just because he has to be, but because he wants to be? Well, this is by far nowhere close to Wayne Rooney's first rodeo, if I use a cliche myself, going from <laughs> a child superstar and having those expectations at Manchester United, or even last year going back to his his boyhood club at Everton. I think he has a very he has a lot of experience and a very good understanding of what his role is when he goes into a team and what they expect from him but also on the other side of it, what it's going to take. He was very honest today, knowing where his fitness is as far as not having played the last few months, knowing this is a new environment and what he's going to be able to contribute on the field. So I think there's this balance that he understands that he is a, is a, a big part of the business of DC United and, and this reset, but he, you don't expect, Jimmy Fallon interviews or big ads in the LA times or over here, the Washington post, because he takes those expectations and at least in the past has produced on the field. And I think that's what he's looking to do here. Although who knows if uh, Dr. Patrick Soon Shong's purchase of <laughs> DC United reported alleged uh, purchase of DC United comes through. Maybe he'll put an ad in the New York times which he also owns. <laughs> well, it's true, but the, uh, <laughs> you'll you'll know you'll know that ad is coming from Patrick and not from Rooney. Rooney lets the the crazy. From what I have in my short personal time, and then a longer time following him, lets everyone else do what they're going to do. Lets it happen and speaks where he knows where to speak best, which is on the soccer field. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, he said something similar when he was asked at the the press conference why he chose DC. And he was like, I never had a thing for London. I don't have a thing for New York. I can kind of not be the center of the world in DC. And that's what I want. Um, which is a weird thing to hear, but it, it got him here. And hopefully he'll, he'll produce on the field uh, like he has in the past. Emily, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, so like you said before, there's a lot of different places you can find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at M-E-M underscore Olsen, O-L-S-E-N 59, or at Pro Soccer USA, sometimes at MLSsoccer.com, and occasionally on the Sirius XMFC uh, channels, particularly Grumpy Putt, All right. We have one more segment. We're doing the rare post guest extra segment. So stick around if you're listening to this. 
Uh, this is Filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster again, a rare third segment for us. Uh, we're going to preview the we're, actual We're taking game. it to extra time. We are. Don't call it extra time radio. That's, that's trademarked by someone else. Uh, we're previewing uh, a little bit of the on-field action Saturday. Obviously, the occasion is is the bigger deal uh, with Audi Field opening and, and Buzzard Point forever being the, the, or at least for foreseeably being the home of DC United, probably for at least the rest of my life, uh, if not longer. Uh, but the game is going to happen. That's the, the context of this. Uh, Vancouver uh, are currently sixth place in the Western Conference. They have played, uh, they're, they're one point above the red line. They've played five more games than DC United in that time. They've scored six more goals and allowed eight more goals than United have over the season. Goal differential overall of minus eight, which is a little bit worse than DC United's. They're coming off a three to two win at home over the Chicago Fire this weekend. Before that, they had two shutout losses in a row. And before that, they won a game scoring uh, five goals. Uh, I can't even remember who it is, who it was against. Orlando. It doesn't matter. It was uh, uh, okay. So maybe that tempers that a little bit. In any event, Jason, this is a team that seems to run very hot and very cold. Yeah, they're they're. Uh their record this season is kind of all over the place. They've got, um, you know, w- a one win in five games stretched. Then they've got a six games unbeaten, but also four. they had four draws in a row at one point. Um, sometimes they win. You know, the Orlando game is 5-2. They win big. Um, other games, they've been blown out of the water. Um, before we went on, I was looking for, um, you know, to get a little more specific for our purposes – um, some of their longer road trips and the results that have come uh, as a result. And it's good news um, because the reason that they've got that gaudy negative goal differential is mostly their trips to um, points uh, far east of Vancouver. Um, they lost 6 nothing to Sporting Kansas City in KC. They lost 4 nothing at Talent Energy Stadium to the Union. They lost 4-1. Uh, to Atlanta United in uh, Georgia. They've lost two, or, or actually they did beat Columbus 2-1 away, which is um, kind of goes back to the original point that they're kind of all over the place with their results because that's a win at Columbus is a very good result. Um, but they've also been completely destroyed um, by the Union, which is a terrible result. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a little hard to get a gauge on who this team is because that, you know, they've kind of stuck to, they started the season with four, two, three, one, they've switched to four, four, two, but they're still kind of, it's kind of like every week, it's something new with the, with this group. And you never quite know, um, what white caps team you're going to see their home record. Isn't anything special. It's, you know, four wins, four draws, two losses, their road record. They've got three wins on the road out of, uh, out of nine games, which is not bad but they've also got five losses and most of their goals against this year have come on the road. So um, it, it's, it's an odd team uh, above all else, though it's still very much a Carl Robinson team at its core. A very Carl Robinson team, I think is exactly the right way to put this because uh, if this Chicago game uh, was any indication, they love to go route one, not just like, 
in a cliche way of of occasionally booting the ball they they deliberately try to create room in central midfield for them to send long balls over the top not even through balls but literally long lofted balls behind the defense for Alfonso Davies and Kai Kamara to run onto. And if you're going to do it, those guys are the right guys to, to build that system around, especially Davies. But it's, it's jarring to see what most of the league is doing, trying to play more. Um, I don't want to say enlightened, but more modern styles. And then seeing this throwback that Vancouver is doing. Yeah, and they're pretty unapologetic about it. Um, they're, uh, I think Robinson would present himself as just someone who's pragmatic, um, but I would say that um, Robinson is more what the people, the, the, the harshest critics of Ben Olsen from an aesthetic perspective, Robinson is what you actually have been thinking of the whole time. Um, because if you think that Ben Olsen's most regressive teams were playing long ball soccer, wait until you see the Carl Robinson's white caps. Um, they have no issues with what they're doing. Um, they know that playing long the Kai Kamara is a fruitful way to play soccer. It's not fun, but it works. Um, the fact that they've got, uh, Alfonso Davies providing that extra, um, that burst of speed from the left and also just his ability to get past people in the dribble. He's by far um, in terms of successful dribbles per game, he's blowing everyone else out of the water. Um, So those are two different um, threats that are really hard to deal with. Um, And everyone else is just sort of out there trying to support that. So um, when they were playing four, two, three, one, they were trying to play through Jordi Reyna. Now they've moved him up as a second forward and his job is to just chase those knockdowns and then try and create. But job number one is get those balls that Kamara knocks down. Um, it's, it you know, the the power balance there has sort of switched where before it was like, well, maybe sometimes we'll play through Reina. Now it's like, no, 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 no. Your job is to chase Kai Kamara around and hopefully catch the ball when he knocks it down. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's not, it, it's nothing, uh, that United has seen this year. Um, we haven't seen a team play quite that brand of soccer this season. Um, and everywhere else in the field, it's about being physical. This is a team that employs Felipe. Um, so you can, you can, you know, you can, you can gain a lot of knowledge about their um, position on being uh, upright and morally correct uh, by fielding him. You know that they're not interested in those things. Um, you know, we might get lucky and see they've, they've spent a couple games with Breck Shea playing left back, which is uh, preposterous. Um, he didn't play against Chicago, but, 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 you know, maybe we see him return. That would be a, a big positive for United. Um, but yeah, this is a team that plays physical set piece based soccer with uh, lots of long balls in, in uh, open play. They're trying to find Kai Kamara. And then when he knocks the ball down, they're trying to find those knockdowns and create after that. It's nothing, that you haven't seen before. It's just that you might not have seen it in the last like five years um, because it's Maybe definitely it's the, the Goonies quakes. Yeah. It, it's a relic. Um, and there are games where it doesn't work at all. Um, the, the games where their opponent can win those second balls and can fight Kamara enough so that he's not completely dominating in the air. Um, their attack kind of shuts down a little bit after that because, you know, 
they're not asking for somebody to create through the middle. Um, they're playing two holding midfielders. Um, they usually have, um, you know, Davies has given a little more free run to get up and down the wing. Um, on the right, it's been sort of a rotating thing. They played Jordan Much out on the right against Chicago, and he's not really even a wide player. Um, in other games, they've gone in different directions. I think they're not really satisfied with their um, right midfield starting options right now. Um, I think when they lost in – or they lost at home to Colorado, which they lost at home to Colorado. Um, that's, I probably should have mentioned that. <laughs> I should that's have led with much, that, yeah. Yeah, that's as bad as it gets. You can't lose to Colorado in any venue, but you certainly should not lose to them at home. Um, but yeah, that was that was one where they had Shea in midfield. Sean Franklin got the start for them. Um, so I think, I think that Robinson has a fairly solid handle on most of his players, but he's not sure who that extra midfielder is. Um, and so they're, they're still feeling out. Um, who can take, take over, um, that extra position. Um, but you know, they're going to sit deep. Uh, they're not going to have any problems sitting deep. They're, they're not going to be the team that's like, uh, I'm not so comfortable with playing this style. They're like, no, no, this is what we want. Um, and so, you know, in a way this game against LA United having to break down a, um, a massed organized defense, um, it Even if it was good, on a higher block than, than right. Vancouver's it's, likely to play. It's still a good dry run because yeah. the Whitecaps are going to sit in their two rows of four. Um, they're going to have most likely Jordi Reyna drop off Kamara to, to help out if the central midfield needs that third man. That's where it'll come from. Um, but mostly it's just the most basic 4-4-2 uh, structure uh, that keeps everything as simple as possible. I think that's maybe that's the the – the key underpinning here under all of this is they just want the game to be simple um, because I, I don't think that Robinson has much confidence in them to play a more complicated game. Um, and they also may or may not have Kendall Waston. I believe the word was there's a chance, but it's not certain, which is a big factor for them because um, if you're going to be a long ball physical team uh, looking to be dominant in the air at, in both boxes, Kendall Austin is pretty much the guy you want on your team. Um, He had to come out in that Colorado loss. He had to come out at halftime. He didn't play against the fire. Um, So that's, that's a situation to monitor. If you feel like uh, Googling something about this game that isn't stadium related, you should probably Google Kendall Austin's fitness status, because that's going to go a long way to determine whether this is the white caps team that can be tough to break down. Or if this is the white caps team that goes on the road and gets smoked. So it sounds like with the knockdowns um, and and with Alfonso Davies on the left, um, the key places for United to watch are going to be defensive midfielder Chris Durkin helping with those second balls, helping the center backs make sure that Kamara is always uh, bumping into somebody when he goes for those headers so that he can't direct them to where he wants. And then Durkin is there to to help collect them. And then O'Neill Fisher or whoever plays right back is going to have to be um, sprinting a lot because anytime there's a turnover, Davies will will set up that run in behind. Yeah, they've got to, um, you know, it, 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 it shouldn't just be at right back. Um, it sh- it's going to be a group effort because no one really has the physical traits to, to compete with Davies, quite frankly. Um, he's fast. 
he's um, his first step is extremely fast as well. It's not just that straight line speed. It's that short distance speed. Um, he's also big and strong. Um, if you just try and body him, he's usually able to win that shoulder to shoulder. Um, and he knows, he knows what he's doing. Um, despite being, I think he's still, I I don't think he's turned 18 yet. Um, despite that inexperience, he knows full well, um, where, where and when to do, um, the things that bring his skills to bear. Um, he really is good at leveraging those moments where Vancouver can break out. Um, I think they've spent a lot of time working on him recognizing those moments because outside of the long ball, um, those solo counter runs where he's picking up the ball 30 yards from Vancouver's goal and taking off, um, those have become a major part of the Whitecaps uh, game plan. That's a big thing that they, it's not a bonus. That's a, a feature. Um, that's, that's something they're looking for. Um, so United's right side, you know, we just talked about how they were really bad against LA defensively uh, at the start of the game. They have to be the opposite uh, to start this one because if they fall asleep um, or if they get overcommitted attacking and and then turn the ball over in a bad spot, Alfonso Davies is going to be off and running. And you know, if we if we think about how those dominoes fall from there, you've got a most likely problematic right back uh, trying to chase Davies down and who's going to be peeling out of the middle to confront Davies. It's Frederick Briant, who we know shouldn't be peeling out of the middle to confront anybody, but much less an extremely fast player. It's a, um, it's a recipe for disaster. So it it really is all about um, preventing that further up the field. And, and, you know, if that means focusing possession towards the other side of the field, more often um, making sure that, uh, Assad and Acosta on the left half of United's midfield, if they're getting more of the ball, um, then so be it. Um, if, if that's one way to make sure that when you turn the ball over, that you're not getting letting Davies get in possession, um, that's a pretty good idea. Though you also open up yourself to, um, if you turn the ball over and everyone's sort of heavy to one side, it just takes one pass to free Davies up and he's on the run sprinting. So um, they really need to be careful about their possession play and, and they're going to be in possession in this game. They're going to dominate possession unless they go down to like nine men. They're going to run possession in this game because Vancouver doesn't want the ball. Um, and Vancouver does want those counterattacking opportunities. So um, that's maybe the biggest battle of all. It's not even the, the, um, the knockdowns, but preventing those breakouts is, is maybe the, the biggest threat because I think um, United has, has in the past dealt with, long ball play to Kamara. I think they've dealt with it fairly well. I think Steve Birnbaum knows what he's getting into with that. Um, Frederick Briant um, for the issues he might have uh, on the run is still pretty good in the air. He's still big and strong. He can still compete with someone like Kamara. So um, I think they can make it so that he's not in control of that aerial battle, which makes the job for Durkin and for that matter, for um, Paul Ariola, assuming he returns to the starting lineup, um, because he's going to need to help um, as well. It can't just be Durkin. Um, you need that central midfield support so that um, you're not getting those extra numbers or even going one-on-one because it only takes one or two looks uh, for that to go bad. Um, so, you know, I, I think United is mostly going to be able to handle the Kamara aspect of this. I think they can – I'm confident in them – handling that side it's defending those breakouts through Davies. That is the, the real danger in this game, I think for United, because 
otherwise I like the matchup overall. It's just that one, that one little thing uh, with Davies is uh, something to worry about. They have one real weapon and they, when, when it works, it really works for them. Uh, I think that's it for us this week, Jason, unless you have anything else. No, I'm good. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find Ben on a beach somewhere. Don't though. Don't remember. Don't stalk people. Don't expose their lives on Twitter. Uh, we are on, we are on Twitter at black and red. You for the website at filibuster DCU for the podcast. We're on Patreon. If you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, ratings and reviews. I'm told are helpful in my experience. The best thing you can do for us is, is just tell a friend about the show when you're at Audi field on Saturday. Uh, if you're at Finn McCool's, if you're at, the Queen Vic, if you're anywhere else and, and you feel like talking about the show, you know, run with that. Run with that urge. We really appreciate it when when word of mouth uh, spreads us around. So we will talk to you next week after DC United plays a game in their own soccer stadium, which is still a very surreal thought to contemplate. Uh, for For Jason, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Uh, see you guys at the actual stadium that the team has now. It's a thing. It exists. It does. I'm told. I haven't seen it yet. Allegedly. I haven't touched it. I will touch it. My love has come along.